Hey everyone, welcome to the Magical Healing the World podcast. My name is David with my lovely wife, Ms. Megan. Hey everyone. And we are so excited to bring you such a special guest today, uh, the oh, yeah. wonderful, lovely Miss Sage Lightheart. She has been start part of the Magical Movement from the freaking start. Like I remember when we started the uh, group after Megan's ayahuasca healing and Sage was there. You were there. You were there and you were posting and talking and you've always been in such alignment with us. And I love it. Thank you for your time today, Sage. And you're always posting beautiful art that you do. It's amazing. Oh, yes. Uh, thank you guys. You have provided an excellent space for safety and creating our new reality. I'm, yes. You guys started that group on Facebook and it was one of the first groups I joined when I joined Facebook. And it, it gave me a, a platform to, to really explore myself and my healing journey. It was great. <laughs> oh, that's so cool. We love hearing that. that makes me so happy. Megan feels energies like to the 10th possible degree. Mm -hmm. And she's always loved your energy. Mm -hmm. Loved it, loved it, loved it. Yeah. Right back at you, sister. <laughs> how did you, so I'm just how did you, how did you come across our group? I just remember you being there from the beginning. Right, yeah. <laughs> Um, I, uh, I think I was, I was in all of these healing groups and, um, was trying to find, find a space where I could just be me without judgment, where I felt safe to just be me. And, um, I think Megan, you found me and you're like, Hey, I'm starting a group, honey, you'd fit right in. And I'm like, okay. And, um, and I joined and then I left all the other groups and, uh, yeah, some of the best friends that I have right now I actually found through Major Goal. Oh, I love that. That's so cool. That is great. And I got to say, I mean, I definitely want to get into your story. It's just miraculous. But your art is so cool. I love it. And um, do you have, like, a link or something? Because when we post this, we're going to post it all over. We'd love to, like, put your stuff out there. Oh, it's it's so divine how you make it how it's like your way of channeling almost. well it's also how you are healing you yeah. know like it's an outlet for you and like your art you can't like i don't know like like for example the last time that i just recently talked to you you're like yeah well this art piece is a story of this and you're in it and i was like oh my god like <laughs> it was amazing amazing Thank you. I feel blessed to be able to create. Um, art has, I, I don't have a website right now. I have um, limitations and blocks that I'm working through. And uh, I, I think I'm, I'm going to do something that I haven't seen before. I don't see any other artists gearing in the direction that I'm going in. I'm just trying to re-envision uh, what an artist is and what it does and what the value of that activity is for, for the artists themselves and also for the rest of the world. Um, honestly, artists are here to so uh, I'm, I'm figuring out a new way to to get the art out in the world and make it available for people uh, for now it's just sage lightheart on facebook and uh i do all sorts of weird stuff on my on my page but most of it is art <laughs> that's awesome it's our, our kind of our kind of person that's great <laughs> yeah. awesome we'll put a link to your uh, facebook then if that's cool with you perfect <laughs> well yeah i mean you, you got the floor. We're just so excited to talk to you. I know we wanted to, we've been wanting to get you on for a little while now, um, but everything happens just in divine timing. You know, it's not our timing as much as it's divine timing. So we're so excited to have you here and your story is just amazing. We just know bits and pieces of it, but yeah, we would love to hear from you. Talk to us about uh, your childhood and everything. Woo. All right. Well, um, 
I'm, I'm 39 right now. And when I was 35, my dad called me and said, I just saw your face on TV. And I know that you're not really allowed to watch the show, but you should watch it. And it was called uh, The Aftermath Special with Leah Ramini. And it was an entire episode on the Mace Kingsley Ranch School, which until that point, I had been telling people that I had a great childhood and I went to these expensive boarding schools and I was a great deal of trouble for my parents, but they loved me anyway. And um, so I kind of, I, I, I watched this episode and they don't mention me by name, but both of the the uh, grown children that they interviewed were my friends and they told stories about me and um oh I, I have a, a plane flying over me I hope that doesn't bother anybody but so I watched this episode and um my world collapsed uh I realized that I had been raised in a cult and that uh my childhood was a lie and that all of the stories that I would tell that started with I were were lies essentially and um, I, I had a complete mental and emotional breakdown um, in that where just all of the constructs came crashing down. I didn't know if I existed. I sat in a bathtub for 11 days um, with my husband trying to feed me and not knowing what to do to help me other than that I was in extreme emotional pain and mentally was no longer existing as, as the wife that he knew. So um, once I got out of the bathtub, I did some ecstasy and MDMA and psilocybe protocol at that point um, really opened up my heart into understanding <laughs> that I did the best with what I was given. And um, the stories started unraveling themselves and the truth uh, made itself apparent, which was that I had been raised in a mind control cult mm -hmm. um, that was formed by a narcissist. So I was taught narcissistic behaviors and I was groomed for um, to be a victim to narcissism. And uh, this started very young for me. Uh, by the time I was 12, I got kicked out of one of my very expensive boarding schools. And I found my, uh, my discharge papers. And what I actually got kicked out for was disseminating dissent. At age 12, I was saying, this isn't right. This doesn't make sense. Um, and, and people are hurt. This is hurting people. And uh, so instead of, you know, taking me to a therapist or trying to figure out what exactly is happening with this 12-year-old girl, I was sent to a re-education camp called the Mace Kingsley Ranch School, where I spent three and a half years. And in that time, um, I was used by staff members, for adult staff members for sex, and also freely giving sex to any boy that I possibly felt could take care of me or protect me in some way or offer me any space in which I could feel like I could be myself. Um, so I had, I had, I started using sex as this um, worth thing. It was, it was what I was good at. Apparently I hated it. You wanted to be loved, right? I did. I did. I wanted to be loved. And, and, Honestly, for me, I, I know that I'm loved um, <clears throat> through all of my trauma. The one thing that I've walked around carrying is that I am loved. Even if I can't point at a person and say, they love me, I, I know that I'm loved. And for me, that's actually God. That's, I, I walk through my trauma knowing God and knowing that I am loved um, by the universe itself. Yeah. Uh, even though I would get tangled into egoic constructs of love and worth and all of that, um, most of my behavior was actually motivated by fear. And it wasn't fear that I wasn't loved. It's fear that I would not be protected. Um, 
I, and I've actually realized just recently, um, I had an Akashic reading done and, and blew her mind away when she looked at my, um, at my shields, I guess, and protective coverings. And I have not. I, I started this lifetime open to experience this universe with no barrier to anything, uh, mm -hmm. essentially. And that my, my lesson, which I've been coming to understand through uh, many different <laughs> making art and doing MDMA or psilocybe, I've, I've been coming to understand that my job in this lifetime is to just lean into the universe and say, I trust you. Mm -hmm. and to just have faith that I am loved, that I am love, and, um, and I trust you, universe, <laughs> so, <laughs> um, yeah, oh my god, where was I going with that? <laughs> you were talking, you were talking uh, about the papers, they, you were, like, realizing this at 12, that there was something wrong. Yeah, yeah, so I knew that there was something wrong, I got sent to this re-education camp, um, there was a lot of sexual abuse, a lot of mental abuse, um, because it's a cult, this was all spiritual abuse too. Oh, um, brainwashing, like MK Ultra yeah. yeah. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Um, I was having induces, uh, having psychosis induced on me, uh, over and over to the point where I actually learned how every time I would feel confusion, which is my, my general response to pain is I'm confused because it's a betrayal by the universe. Why am I in this pain? Um, so every time I would feel confusion, I would create psychosis within myself in order to look outside of me for what reality is and to really open up the foundations of my, my very core thinking into what is real. So I was being taught at, you know, as a young child to, to enter psychosis and then to accept whatever reality was being given to me by an authority figure, um, which, you know, I kept doing that as an adult, which boy, did that look crazy pants to pretty much everybody, but uh, it was giving me a measure of safety to do that to myself where I could just drop all of my ideas and my concepts and be willing to accept whatever reality my trusted advisor was going to hand me. So, um, yeah, it was, um, yeah, uh, brainwashing, psychosis. There was a very foundational thinking axioms implanted into my head uh, regarding who I am, regarding the world around me, and and orders on how to interact with the world around me, which was in essence to shut myself off from experiencing uh, experience itself, uh, which is, is silly to me because I've, I'm actually realizing now that I'm just here to experience in the way that I experience as unique and wonderful and sometimes painful as that can be. That's what I'm here for is to just experience. So um, I was being taught at a very young age to not experience. Or to experience you, other people. How did you break free from the brainwashing? Like how, how, I mean, your mind is so powerful. How were you able, because I mean, there's so many others, unfortunately, that have been brainwashed that they're not in your, they're not set free. How were yeah. you able to do that? And how long did this go on for? Um, well, I, I've been on this healing journey for about four years now. Um, it's been a lot of work. I mean, it's not easy. I've never had a therapist. So um, because of the way that Scientology, that's the cult, by the way, the way that Scientology was, um, is put together, I have, a, I had a huge prejudice against therapists to begin with. Um, 
psychotherapy, all the modalities. I just, I couldn't, soft sciences. Yeah, I, I couldn't do it. At one point, I, I was willing to be committed because um, my, I, I didn't exist in my head. And I was so confused by everything that I actually told my husband, you should just commit me and, you know, live your life, go find another wife. That guy, he's a good one. He kept me anyway. <laughs> um, <clears throat> so I've been doing this uh, piece by piece. And part of it, I created Somehow in the beginning of this mental breakdown, I began creating a safe space for myself uh, within a friend group, within a, a chosen family and a tribe. And um, we're all kind of on this healing journey together. So as one of us is confronting a certain part of our programming or a certain part of our egoic structures, um, we're all doing different things at, at the same time. So we're all reflecting on each other's work as well. So there's a lot of um, piggybacking and leapfrogging that happens within a collective that is dedicated to healing and dedicated to each journey being individual um, and completely voluntary. So um, I've been doing this just step by step, one step at a time, one day at a time, one minute at a time, one tear at a time. Um, and really inspecting and being, I'm, I'm so willing to be honest, uh, even if being honest is saying I lie. Yeah. So for me, having found out that my entire childhood was a lie, that the foundations of my thinking were a lie, um, I, I had to find grace for that, not only for myself, but for the world around me in that I was living within a, a virtual reality that did not actually exist, um, other than the power that I would feed it. So every time a new little piece of the programming would pop up in my head, um, I would generally have an emotional spin out, which looks a lot like um, crazy pants. Yeah. Uh, where all of a sudden I have this pain in, in me and I'm looking at the tangible things around me to, to justify why I'm in this pain. So when I first started doing this work, the programming would come up, I'd be in this pain and then I would go, you did this to me and now I'm in pain or I would go and then this happened and now I can't and I mean this is all very classic egoic structure kind of kind of talk here um which I very quickly started to find my way out of and go okay I'm doing the tangibles right now I'm in this pain where did the, where did I pick up this pain where is it coming from and I have one of my my sisters is doing EMDR therapy which um, I would love to do, but it's formatted a lot like some of my very early auditing, uh, which is the Scientology kind of processing and it's brainwashing essentially. Um, so I don't want to do the format, but I do similar things for myself. I'll do tapping when I'm thinking of my memories. So I'll find this pain and I'll go, where did you come from? And generally at night, I'll have a dream regarding the pain and um, I call them trauma dreams. And it comes back and I, I will walk my trauma again. I will walk, um, you know, an incident where, you know, I was raped. And in that incident, I look at, well, what was I thinking and feeling at this time? I was feeling betrayed. Uh, the universe is not protecting me and I trusted the universe. I'm feeling like this is my fault. So all of these feelings, the shame and the betrayal, I look at, what kind of thinking was going along with the emotions? Okay, well, I deserved this, so I'm responsible for my own condition. Um, and what does that mean about me? And essentially, it all came down to I'm a piece of shit. Um, in every, almost every trauma that I experienced, I decided that I was a piece of shit. 
in order to make sense of the pain. And once I, once I realized that, I was like, oh my God, I can totally have grace for myself in deciding that because as a child who's supposed to be protected, I mean, that's kind of the contract with God when we're born um, is that we're going to be loved unconditionally and protected and taught how to deal with the world. Um, having that contract with God betrayed over and over as a young child, not taught ways to cope with trauma or even that it was trauma, that I was being victimized. Um, now I know I, I know what it is and I have tons of grace for it. And it's most of normal, it. like life is horrible. Now, so both your mom and dad were both Scientologists, correct? And so yeah. do they basically sign your rights away, like their rights to you away when you're in Scientology? So basically they are not in control of you anymore. And now yeah. they, wow. And then I'm trying to understand, so the way that you found out that this was not normal, everything you've been through was that your father reached out to you one day. So he was, is he no longer a Scientologist? I'm just trying to piece this together. Yeah, so yeah, he, he actually, he got out of Scientology uh, quite a few years, like maybe eight years ago now, nine years ago. He's, there's levels to leaving Scientology. It's not an easy thing. And um, a great deal of people who leave, we call it flying under the radar. Because if you start speaking out against Scientology, and here's the thing, I'm not speaking out against Scientology. I'm relating my experience within Scientology. And if that happens to look like I'm speaking against it, um, the people who are thinking that need to look inside and go, what am I actually accountable to here? Um, so he was flying under the radar when he called me. And my mom is still in, actually. My mom recently, um, two years ago, moved to the Mecca of Scientology, Clearwater, Florida, to really dedicate her life and her experience to gaining levels through Scientology. <laughs> Sorry, mom, you can change your mind. <laughs> so, um, yeah. So when he called me, I'm, it was definitely, it was a very brave act for him to call me because he was flying under the radar. And at that point, he didn't know where I stood with Scientology at all. And um, just telling somebody to watch one of those shows is, is enough to have a, a ton of trouble on your doorstep, literally knocking on your door um, and stalking. And, well, and then they have, it's it. called it. Yeah. Yeah, which is actually how I found the name Sage, Sage Lightheart, um, when I when I was officially done with Scientology and going, oh my God, what the hell happened to me? Um, I got very scared. I had fear programs kick in, which um, beautifully enough, the last time that you guys and I were going to do our podcast and it wasn't working out, it like the, the universe was not happening. Wow. I was getting ready to to turn another corner in my healing where I actually addressed um, root programming of high crimes within Scientology, which are the ways to get kicked out of Scientology. And this, it was very root programming for me. So right before we were about to do this podcast, I had this thing happening in my life that was really bringing up core programming for me. And I'm, ah, but I got through that recently. That was, you know, two months ago. It's good, big stuff. You're big. So powerful, girl. So, how were you comfortable to like meet your husband? Like, how? I mean, how did that even? Because I mean, I can only imagine. 
Like you just probably like don't, or maybe you do. I mean, it can go both ways. You either don't want to be touched or you, you do, but yeah. Yeah. you know, in, in our experience with Megan, uh, she's yeah. had that deep trauma uh, and that sort of thing kind of like. For me, it, I was the opposite. I didn't want anyone touching me. Even the mm -hmm. most amazing person in my life, it's like when that mm -hmm. happened, I mean, it's, ayahuasca has helped me a lot. But there was mm -hmm. a time where it was just, I would turn to a stiff board, and even though I love him so much, it was like, oh my God, I turned that little girl on I mean, like, don't touch me. So it's amazing that you're open to love and to find someone. I'm so, I mean, that's incredible. <laughs> yeah, I actually, when I met him, I fully believed that my power lived in my vagina. So I kind of like, you know, it worked my wiles. And yeah. when when we met, it, it he's my soulmate. So when we met, there was no question that we were going to be together. But I was still working in the old programs. And, you know, for a really long time, I couldn't admit that I didn't like being touched. I didn't, it didn't feel safe enough to say, um, please don't touch me. I, I don't like that. I'm highly sensitive. My My body is highly sensory. Um, I, I feel every texture, um, I, I feel everything, uh, having, you know, a little hair poking out of my shirt can ruin my life if I'm not paying attention. <laughs> oh my gosh, my dog is barking at me. I'm going to let him out really fast. I'm so <laughs> sorry. Oh my, let that baby out. <laughs> <laughs> wow. wow. That's amazing. One, I want to talk more about the MDMA and the psilocybin because I know how we know how powerful those are. Good. Mm -hmm. That's right. So I'm very curious. How did the MDMA and the psilocybin come to play? Because that's I thought mm -hmm. that it did. I've seen incredible research from maps, so I would love to love to hear. Yeah, definitely dig in. So this actually ties into the topic of my husband. Um, right bef about uh, eight months before I watched the TV show, we were having very big difficulties in our marriage to the point where I was, um, I, I was done. I was done. And my last, uh, let's give this a shot was let's do an MDMA. And when I was, um, 18 and 19, I was a little raver kid down in or 17, 18 and 19. I was a raver kid down in Phoenix. And I did a lot of drugs and I was doing them to escape. Uh, I was doing them to feel better. I was doing them to feel free. They weren't doing that for me, but that's why I was doing it. And when my mayor, I'm watching my marriage collapsed around me and I'm scrambling for everything. I said, you know what, we're going to do some drugs. Let's, let's try, let's try doing MDMA. Let's try doing it with intention and with it. Yep. It's all about intention. And, you know, I see people a lot talking about, you know, setting and tone and all of this, and all of that is very important. But honestly, for me, the most important thing is saying, I am doing this in order to open a pathway for healing. Yes, I'm doing I this. In order to I agree with that. The power of intention that. is just so huge. Powerful. You know, just huge. absolutely huge. Yeah. yeah. So, I, I did MDMA with him and it actually, it opened me up to a point where I could, I could start talking. I didn't know what I was talking about yet. I was still in, in my childhood programming and in what I had done with that programming as an adult, because it, it morphed itself into a more adult form of, um, of living. So um, we had a, an excellent time together and really reconnected on an intimate, like an emotionally intimate, not necessarily physical intimate 
but uh, we reconnected on that. And then right after I watched the aftermath special, he said, I think that you should, you should do MDMA. And um, literally about an hour after I watched the aftermath, I did MDMA, which probably saved my life because that night after, after seeing that and realizing that reality was a lie, um, I, I wanted to die. I, I wanted to not exist. I wanted to never have existed. Um, I wanted it to be over. So the, the MDMA really brought me into my heart of, um, it's okay. You're going to be okay. I, I am loved. It, it reminded me that I, that I walk through life with God in my heart saying, I love you with every breath. And, um, so through that, uh, through MDMA that helped with, with that particular time. And then my husband started doing research and we got into doing lion's mane mushrooms, which is for neurological, uh, function essentially. And then doing the psilocybin protocols. And for about two years, yep. Two years, I was only microdosing. And the reason why with the psilocybin is that I was terrified of my shadow side because I didn't have all of my memories yet. Um, I didn't know what had actually happened to me, which through the first two years of my healing journey where it was happening in my dreams and I was doing my healing work in my dreams mainly and then waking up in the morning and processing. So I would microdose, which would help the processing um, be very focused and just like get it done. This is what happened. These are the emotions attached to it. How can I let this go? How can I sit in it? Um, if I can't let it go, obviously I have the emotional energy still attached. So how can I express this emotional energy? And I've always been an artist. Um, my definition of artist used to be really wonky. Scientology actually attaches itself to artists and has a lot of um, very laser focused programming on art and artists and what they do and how they are and how they live. Um, so I was, I was trying to be this creative person um, and failing miserably because my ego was involved and Scientology programming was involved and creating art was a very painful process for me, um, which I blamed the art for, not the fact that I was walking around carrying all this pain that was coming through uh, every time I tried to make art. So as I started healing and doing my MDMA and psilocybin protocols and then doing my dream work, I started sitting down every day just to draw a circle. I'm just going to sit down and I'm going to draw a circle. And most of the time I would get, I would get about halfway through drawing a circle and I would start crying and, and know that I'm sitting in my pain and I would just sit there and let myself weep um, and process it. And what my tears were doing to the ink on the page, um, I'd watch it. And it was like watching universes um, being created and, and melding with each other. And it was um, an absolutely beautiful thing. I, I don't sit down with any other intention other than to just draw a circle. So I think that's one reason why my art feels so wild and free because my mind is not there when I'm doing it. It's, it's my heart and it's my connection to the universe and just letting what, what is be and existing within that for the moment of creating art. Um, so uh, big fields. <laughs> Wow, that is so amazing. Did Jesus. you ever take the psilocybin at the same time as the MDMA? Yes, yes I have. I'm taking the two together, and so I was just curious. You did? Yeah, so 
I was microdosing for a while and then I had, <clears throat> I decided I, want, I wanted to do some MDMA and actually take some more of the psilocybin at the same time. And I wanted it with the MDMA because um, what the MDMA does for me in my body is it, it really opens up my heart mm-hmm. and allows me with love to inspect the pain that I'm carrying there. Wow. So I was finding that through MDMA and I wanted that laser focus that I was getting from the psilocybin protocol at the same time. So I, all of a sudden I was, I was willing to, to walk hand in hand with my shadow, but it needed to be a blend of those two molecules for me. And the first time that I did that, um, it was terrifying, honestly. I mean, it was beautiful. Everything is beautiful to me, but, um, it was terrifying because I went into my heart and I saw the amount of pain that I was carrying and I could, you know, all of a sudden a lot of memories started coming back. I was triggered. It was um, difficult. I fell into codependency while I was doing the protocol. Um, and it, I felt like my life was going to collapse uh, in, in that drug, in that molecule, the first time that I did the two together. Um, it, it was very difficult and coming out of it, uh, sobering up out of it, what I was carrying was this understanding of the mantle that I wear, the understanding of what my healing actually looks like. All of the, the narratives of I had a happy childhood were gone. It was, I was raised in a cult. And when I finally left the cult, I was sex trafficked as a teenager. And that was the truth of it. And once I realized that that's what had happened to me and that I was carrying around that pain and I didn't have to, then I started doing more psilocybin protocols and really going in and then dancing with my shadow that was created through the trauma and coming to understand what that means for me as a human being interacting with, you know, anybody. Um, Yeah, big, I mean, big, big. (laughs) <laughs> amazing that you didn't turn to like pharmaceuticals and Xanax, all the things that would have like just masked it because the way to heal in layers is to feel it you got to go mm-hmm. back in you got to feel it so you can process and release it and that is what the psilocybin and NDMA did for you and that's amazing that you did that you faced that girl yeah. wow how did you so when we when you went as a teen how did you end up all right so what happened was I was at the when I was 15 I was at the Mace Kingsley Ranch School and at this point my mother had moved to Los Angeles and she was doing what was called the Scientology St. Hill Special Briefing Course which is um, hundreds of thousands of dollars and years of training to basically become an auditor, which is a Scientology brainwasher programmer processor. Um, And my father, my dad had joined staff at the Mace Kingsley Ranch School in order to work in exchange for my tuition. And I was 15, I had graduated, graduated from the ranch program. I was rehabilitated and I was a good Scientologist. Um, but I didn't have a home because the ranch didn't want me there. The ranch didn't want me there. And I could not go live with my mother because to do that would pull her off of, off of the course that she was on, 
which is a grave sin that like you can be kicked out of Scientology for doing that to somebody on the, the St. Hill Special Briefing Course. So I was 15 and I had nowhere to go. And they arranged for me to join staff at the Cincinnati Org, the Scientology Org in Cincinnati as a nanny for the executive director. And I'm, I don't really like ch little children very much. Um, they terrify me, honestly. I'm scared that I'm either going to hurt them or they're going to hurt me. Um, and I'm a, I'm a little autistic when I'm dealing with, with small children. So I was put into this position. I lasted for about three weeks, four weeks before being paid $50 a week. Um, and being, I was living with this cranky old man who tried to get into the bathroom every time I took a shower and, um, I, I was miserably unhappy and I got in trouble, um, with the executive director of the church, uh, regarding his son. And I ended up locked into an auditing room for three days being forced to write my confessional basically. So in that process of being locked in this room, I decided, fuck that. Um, so I stole my roommate's car and I went to drive to New York city to find my biological father who had abandoned me when I was two, I was determined to find him because maybe he'll love me and keep me safe <laughs> and protect me. Um, so I did end up in New York city. I did end up finding him. I did live with him for a little bit. He's mentally unstable, emotionally unavailable, uh, drugs, and um, um, this man has very, very large mental issues. Um, and not knowing how, this is my first time out in the non-Scientology world. And I, I was 15 and I started meeting people and I happened to gravitate towards narcissists. Imagine that. Yeah. And uh, within months, I was being kicked out of my biological dad's apartment by his parents because I refused to go to high school, which I had already graduated and had a, I had a GED and a high school equivalency diploma at that point. Um, I refused to go to high school. So they kicked me out onto the streets of New York when I just turned 16 on a cold and snowy day. And who do I go to but this new friend that I had made? Um, who felt safe. She was in her 30s and uh, had a young child. And um, I went to her. And then I was very quickly being sex trafficked by her and was introduced to drugs and, um, and that lifestyle. And the way, uh, <clears throat> the way that I got out about three months into her pimping me out, I, I started to refuse to do things. I started saying, you know, I'm not interested. Nope, nope, nope. And I got in trouble. So she sent me to upstate New York to, I believe it was her uncle. And he essentially held me captive. I lived in a cage and um, I did horrible things to his body. He did horrible things to my body. And I ended up with a septic infection because my perineum had been torn by a broken bottle. And I was, I was very, very sick. Um, and I, I, I managed, I, I don't have the memory of leaving his house, but I have the memory of being in a, um, kind of like a pharmacy general store and calling my mother collect and saying I needed help and that I was very sick and I was lost and I didn't know what to do. And she said, I'll send you $35 so you can take the bus back down to New York city to the woman who was taking care of you. So I ended up back in New York City again with this woman who had been pimping me out and I was very sick and I think I was with her for about a week. My memories are really fuzzy here because I had a septic infection and I was dying. 
Um, and I, I ended up um, somehow getting out of her apartment and going into a convenience store and calling my dad at the Mesa Kinsley Ranch School Collect. And I, I basically said, you need to get me out of here. I'm, I'm going to die. Um, I, need, I need a different solution for this. And he got me out of New York. Um, I ended up, I went straight down to Clearwater, Florida and into the home of Carol Kingsley, who's the founder of the Mason Kingsley Ranch School. Oh and yeah, I know it just gets worse, right? Don't worry. It's going to get better eventually. <laughs> this, this is a Girl, I am like feeling all of this so deeply in my heart. It's oh crazy. <laughs> it's crazy. It's crazy. And through all of this stuff, I'm, I'm believing, um, you know, I'm a piece of shit and I deserve this. And, um, I, I was really putting in this foundation of unhappiness for myself. I didn't know what was going on. I was dissociating from everything. Um, so I got down to Clearwater and I was there for a few weeks. Um, I went into the hospital. I came out. I didn't have much memory of this, but I actually met somebody last summer who was in Carol Kingsley's house at the same time, and she remembered me. And so I got her stories of me while I was at Carol Kingsley's house, which was wonderful um, to have that little bit of my past, even, even though it's through somebody else's perspective, having that bit of my past returned to me was good. So I, laid, I was lying in a bed for a week or two, and then Carol Kingsley got me back into session, into auditing session, and I threw a fit. I threw an absolute fit. Um, a fit. I, I went insane and went crazy pants on everybody. And that day, um, a boy who, a man, young man who had been at the ranch and one of my sexual abusers at the ranch showed up at her house, tossed a carton of cigarettes at my head and assumed that he was going to have sex with me. Um, and I lost my, I lost my brains and I called my dad again. I said, you need to get me away from Scientology. Um, need to get me away from these people. I need a break. I'm, I don't know what's happening. I'm very confused. Um, again, please help, help, help. So he actually, the best thing, other than calling me a few years ago, telling me to watch that TV show, he had a friend who was running a retreat center up in Wyoming. And that summer they were hosting um, a week of, you know, women's circle. And they had a week of uh, Reiki healing. And they had a week of, um, Sundance and Native American Sweat Lodge and a Vision Quest Week. So he sent me up to Wyoming to work as a bread baker at this retreat center for the summer. And I got to sit in on these um, amazing talks that made absolutely no sense to me, but felt good. Um, everything that they were talking about was going against my programming. Um, and I was suffering from severe cognitive dissonance at that point. Um, but I, it, it was, I went on a vision quest. I went on a vision quest while I was there. Um, and I totally cheated with a pocket full of sunflower seeds and didn't see anything, but I had four days out in the Wyoming wilderness by myself in quiet, listening to the wind and watching the stars and um, feeling my body, uh, which was incredible for me. So I, I ended up leaving the retreat center at the end of the summer. I traveled around with a group of Lakota Sioux for a bit, tending their fire for their sweat lodge. And then I ended up in Sedona and then up in Flagstaff, Arizona. And I fell into societal expectations and, you know, getting a job. <clears throat> I was still under 18. So I was working under the table 
Um, and I had been groomed for narcissism. So I quickly fell into, you know, working in exchange for drugs and um, started doing co. I was a coke head for about four months, not very long because my friends escalated very quickly. And one of my friends started prostituting herself so that she could get money for, for crack. And as soon as I saw that, I was like, oh my God, I need to get out of this situation. So I ended up down in Phoenix and I just kind of, I, I took my childhood and put it behind me. I created narratives about what it was. Um, the narratives generally made me feel better about myself outside of the, you know, the piece of shit mentality. Um, and I, I went about doing retail and uh, doing life things, meeting guys and getting engaged and buying houses and all sorts of things um, and, until my dad called again and said, you should watch this show. And at that point, my entire world cracked open. I went, what the hell have I been doing and what has been done? And uh, for the past four years, I've been me, more me than I've ever been. It's, it's pretty amazing. <laughs> wow. Wow. <laughs> I mean, you are here on earth to heal yourself, and then you're going to inspire others to do the same. Oh, my God. You have an amazing purpose. I hope so. Something yeah, I, I actually, I'm at this point for a while, I really wanted vengeance. Um, sure. I, I wanted to make people pay for what had been done to me. And now I'm, real, I'm realizing I'm just here to share my experience, to share my journey. And hopefully, you know, um, people will find little bits and pieces of what I'm talking about and, and see it reflect in themselves and see areas where they can work on themselves and be empowered to do that, to say, oh my God, well, this girl who was completely brainwashed can break herself out of it with the help of a tribe. Maybe I can do something about my situation exactly. too. Mm -hmm. Now, yeah. are you doing plant medicine or are you just solely like relying on your art as your, your outlet and for healing? Um, mainly my art and I'm, if things are moving right now. Um, worlds are shifting, uh, timelines are collapsing and rebuilding themselves. And I'm really, um, I'm really excited for the future. I have no idea what is going to happen. I'm okay with that. I've actually come to to be okay with not knowing, um, which took a while because not knowing is used to equal confusion to me, and now not knowing equals trust. Um, so it's a big difference in how I approach things. Um, with my art, it it's going somewhere. I don't know where, but I'm I'm here for the ride, and it sure is a lot of fun. I get to sit down and draw a circle, and and sit with it, and feel it, and then express that that whole experience of feeling my circle. <laughs> and you're so light, like light shines from you. You know, like you're. It's amazing. After all that you've been through, like you're always so goofy. That's a good thing. Like you're like making funny faces, and I'm like, oh my god, her profile. She's like totally making a goofy face. I love it. Or like, uh. I mean, and you look like you're having so much fun, and I, it's just amazing to see considering your story. Wow, girl. Yeah, well, you know, God held my hand through all this, whispering, "I love you." So, you know, um, for me, wonder and awe. I, I approach life with wonder and awe. Um, everything is wondrous and everything is filled with awe, whether it's awful or awe, <laughs> there's awe there in everything. Um, and being goofy is kind of just my second nature. Um, I, I used, I thought for a really long time that, um, and I know that this isn't PC anymore, but for a while I thought that I was retarded and nobody was telling me that everybody was keeping this giant secret that I was retarded because I was so happy. 
I thought that that meant that there was something wrong with me. Um, but I'm just happy because I am love. Um, I just exist with wonder and awe and everything, even the awful things can be beautiful and amazing at the same time. Um, and it's all about how we experience. So life is really choose your own adventure. Why not choose to experience it with a smile on your face and laughter in your belly, you know? feels so much better. <laughs> I'm proud of you, but I'm so happy for you. Because I celebrate you are setting yourself free, girlfriend. Yeah. Free. Well no one else is gonna do it. <laughs> <laughs> we got work, I guess. Wow. Well yeah. you're inspiring so many people. And I know every single person that listens to this podcast, they're gonna be touched by this story. Mm. Sweet. Sweet. I hope they can. I hope they can look inside in those big fields that I might stir up and find areas of themselves that they can love a little bit harder or look at with a little bit of wonder and awe. Um, a, a huge part of my journey has actually been in learning how to reparent myself and um, changing changing the tone that I take with myself on the inside, and you know, asking when I'm inside and I'm doing the I'm a piece of shit thing. Um, you know, what kind of parent would say that to their kid? Um, a bad one. And I don't want to be a bad parent to myself. So really, um, when the feelings come up in me, I, I treat myself like I, I would a young child. And I hope that people can, can start doing that for themselves, because that has changed a lot. That changed every aspect of my life. I mean, this is the work that you've had to put in. I know it's been so hard. And I can only, I can only imagine you know, but I, I mean, you like suck. to deprogram and then to reprogram. I mean, the wow. way the way you're so analytical, mm -hmm. it's like a healing scientist you become. It's amazing. You're like, okay, there's the feeling. This is what I was thinking. I'm gonna process this and find this different angle. It's beautiful because that's such a deep, deep level of self awareness that so many people don't have. Right? Yeah. Like a healing is like as self aware as you can be. And then that ultra self-responsibility that you got to change it. And you're the one in charge of that. But a lot of people either can't catch themselves in the self-awareness or don't want to take that level of self-responsibility and want to blame it on the external things of the past. You've got those two deep levels. That, that's the formula for creating whatever life you want and then healing from anything. And yep. you've, I mean, I don't use the term master a lot, but I don't know how else to explain it. You freaking master it. Like you really have. It's amazing. And thank you for coming on and, and being vulnerable and talking oh about gosh, it. Because yeah. there's, you you know, you definitely know all the stuff that's going on behind the scenes that not everyone knows. Or right. they choose not to, they choose to look away. They and choose it's, to act like it's not, not there. Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah. And I just want to set the intention that there are people that have gone through this, going through this, that are going to find this podcast. And you're going to find hope and healing yeah. and inspiration and all the things. Yes, all the things, seriously, all of the things. Um, for me, honesty was key for this. Um, to, to meet those two deep levels, um, it, it required a willingness to be honest with myself and to be honest with the world. And it really starts inside. Honesty starts inside. Um, almost every single human being that I've ever come into contact with lies to themselves, um, myself included. And as soon as we are willing to say, I'm lying and be honest about our lies, all sorts of self-awareness can come in. Um, all sorts of self-awareness. It's beautiful. It really brings you honesty. Being willing to be honest with yourself really, really brings the healing. Wow. Yeah. This has been 
phenomenal. <laughs> yeah. Wow. Thank yeah. you so, so, so much for everything. Just for, for you. For you. Yeah. Um, Thank you guys. Beautiful smile. I love that you're smiling. Love it. <laughs> awesome. What a, it's like a beautiful healing place you live at too. It is uh, Pacific Northwest all day. Uh, my uh, trees are my trees are my friends. I love them. You come around <laughs> Austin, let us know. Yes. Yeah, for sure. I was actually looking at uh, trying to figure out how to get my passport to get down to one of your retreats. Actually, I really um, love that. Absolutely. Yeah, y'all have been calling my name. <laughs> yeah, right, I hear you calling me down there. Yeah. Yeah, yes. yeah, absolutely. We we would it'd be such an honor to have you there. It really oh, yeah. we can get you there. <laughs> I feel you have such a story. Have you there doing a talk or something like that would just be beautiful. Yeah. Really would. And yeah. I too have figured out what my formula, you know, I searched for healing for damn near forty years, you know, mm -hmm. and I thirty five, but <laughs> I um, you know, figured out my formula. You know, it's it's literally a formula. It was like having to take a certain plant medicine before another plant medicine like it, everything was a formula that i had to figure out and then mm -hmm. addition to the deprogramming the reprogramming all of that you know yeah. um yeah. i would love for you to experience it yeah, yeah. i would love it but you are doing amazing things yes you're gonna help so many people story. that art we love seeing it in our group we love seeing it and it's we we always ask everyone before before we close anything out we ask one question to every person mm -hmm. if you could leave the world with one message what would that be mm. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> um i don't think that there's words for what i would leave oh. um honestly i think it's in my art oh that's awesome that is awesome well, your, next, your next piece of art we're going to post it in this podcast. Yeah, I'm I'm going to actually, as soon as we're done, I'm going to go down to my studio and whip something out. <gasps> I, oh, that's awesome. Send it to us. Say, it to say us. this is what, this is the one I want you to post. Oh, I got crazy chills. Oh, gosh. That's got awesome. you, girl. That's amazing. Thank you so much, Sage. We honor you. We love yeah. you. Thank you. Thank I you. Thank you, girl. You're a beautiful, amazing warrior goddess. Yes, we are so grateful to <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. Thank you guys. I love you bunches. Love. Sending you so much love. And we are always here for you. Anything. Anything, anything. Mm -hmm. Don't okay. to reach out. Yes. I know. Thank right, you. Girl. Have a wonderful rest of your day. Yeah, Let's talk you. offline about retreats, how we can make it happen. And we love you so much. And happy healing. Happy healing, Sage. Mwah. Bye. Bye. Bye.